0: Okay, Um, and so she'll be sharing with us uh, next week as well, and so we're excited about that. Um, I love the fact that we are a group and we are a church um, that sends people all the time uh, into the world, that we indeed um, take Jesus' word seriously and we go into the world um, as we go. Uh, We're going to jump right in. Last week we talked about what it means to be great in the kingdom, that it's about being low or taking the lowest position. Um, And as I was thinking through that, uh, this idea popped into my mind. Uh, I'm a psychology, sociology guy by trade. That's what I studied in school. Um, And there's this theory or there's this idea in psychology. It's called learned helplessness. You'll see what it means. Um, It's a psychological condition, right, where one believes no matter what you do or what we do, what we try, that we are helpless to change or improve our situation. It's a psychological thing that no matter what you do, what you try, you can't improve or change your situation. And it normally develops when you run up against something, whatever that may be, over and over and over again, and you just constantly fail, you constantly stumble, right? And you figure out that you can't conquer over overcome it, it, right? And once learned helplessness sets in psychologically, then even when a very clear opportunity for escape, for victory, for success presents itself, the learned helplessness kicks in and it prevents any action from happening. This happens in your educational lives all the time. Some of you will probably feel that no matter how much you study, you're always going to not be good enough, that you're going to fail. And so many of you then resort to, you know what, I'm not going to try because it doesn't matter. Why? Why try hard and why I'll do things when I'm never, I'm never going to get the grades that my parents want or I'm not going to be as good as they all want me to be, right? The other place you see that's very prevalently is in this place called that we that we loathe in here, but we talk about all the time because it's so prevalent is sex trafficking. If you've ever uh, interviewed or ever seen anyone who's been in sex trafficking, if you don't know what that is, it's when um, people will kidnap usually uh, young women, but it could be both, um, and they basically uh, make them into slave uh, sex slaves. And a lot of times the police and and different people they'll go and try to escape. They'll go go and try to rescue them. And a lot of times the girls or the the girls, uh, the boys, um, they have opportunities to escape. And even though sometimes they'll be in the grasp of the officials, of the police, away from their pimps, they'll run right back. Because then they'll say things like, at least, you know, my pimp, whatever the name is, at least he loves me, at least he takes care of me, no one else in the world cares for me, so on and so forth. And so if you understand learned helplessness a little bit, obviously nobody in the world will say that learned helplessness is a good thing. Everybody will say it's an absolutely terrible thing. It's negative. Nobody likes it. It's not good. But there might be one person in the world where they, that would say helplessness is a good thing, and his name, in my opinion, is Jesus, which is interesting. Consider this, and these verses will be on the screen. John five nineteen. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, The son himself can can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. John 5, 30, later he says this. I can do nothing on my own initiative because I do not see my own will, but the will, seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 12, 30, 49, he continues. For I did not speak on my own initiative. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. There's a book by Paul E. Miller that I'll quote a lot from today. It's called A Prayer. uh, I think it's Prayer Life or A Life of Prayer, something like that. But he says this, and this has struck me. He says this, Jesus is without question the most dependent human being who ever lived. Because he can't do life on his own, he prays. And you can substitute that word dependent for Helpless, if you like, and it means the same thing. Jesus is the most helpless person, human being that ever lived, the most dependent. And now many of, us, many of you in here might say, you know what, that's crazy, Pastor Pete, that's blasphemy. How dare you call Jesus helpless? How dare you call him dependent? How dare you say these things? He is God of the universe. On one hand, you're right, but on the other hand, you're wrong. With his father, Jesus is infinite, all-powerful, God, holy, all those things, but without the Father, utterly helpless. It's interesting that Juni began by saying the thing that he recognized was how arrogant and selfish and prideful we are. Translates into us thinking that we can do whatever it is that we want on our own. And while this idea of dependency or helplessness is great, maybe, for Jesus, and teaching us that we want to be helpless, we have a major, major problem. And the problem is something that all of you know, and is that we all are allergic to helplessness. We hate it. We despise it. We loathe it with every fiber of my being. If I went around and and, and messaged all of you, uh, wrote emails to you and said, Dear so-and-so, you helpless bum, all of you would stop talking to me. If I introduce you to people and say, Oh, hey, have you met Hannah? She's great. She's helpless, by the way. You'd be like, what the? It's not what we want. If I went around introducing my wife that way to everyone, that she's dependent and helpless, again, not very happy. We might not be married, so on and so forth. We're allergic to this idea of helplessness. We loathe it. And then the second problem we have is that Jesus tells us, as we learned last week, that we must turn, change, and become like a child. The lowest, no status, helpless, dependent, in order to receive the kingdom that if you don't the kingdom has no part in you. So here's the big question for the day and a theme for our year as we talked about for our year as we talked about last year uh, last week. And the big question is this, what if then helplessness, a spiritual helplessness is the thing you and I need as Jesus clearly exemplified to live this life well? and to embody what we call a lowly greatness in our kingdom? What if the thing we need, maybe more than anything else, in this day and age particularly, is a spiritual helplessness? And the second, then, practical question is this. Is learning not only how to pray helplessly, but desiring helpless prayer the key to living life well? Let that sink in for a second. What if the key to living the kind of lives that Christ wants us to live, one of glory, joy, beauty, peace, kindness, goodness, all those things, is desiring to be people who embody helpless prayer? And I'm probably insulting you at this point, or at least you feel that way. But what if that's the key? So three things we want to look at today. One, it's very simple. What is helpless prayer? Like, what, what is it? Two, why helpless prayer? And then three, how helpless prayer? What is it? Why should we do it? And how do we do it? Pretty simple. If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter four. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. We read in the NASB here uh, with RK. But again, if you don't have your Bibles on the screen, but again, I tell you, bring your Bibles. It's good for you. Um, it's good to flip through the pages. But Galatians, I should flip there myself. Galatians. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and we'll read this together, and then also we'll look at Mark 14, but we'll go there after Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, I will read for us. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Turn with me to then Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. This is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. They, disciples and Jesus, came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And then he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. If you don't know, this is when Jesus is about to go to the cross. And then he says to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And then Jesus went a little beyond them, fell to the ground, and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. That's the cross, that's the death, and all those things. And then he was saying, verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Helpless prayer is simple. It's two words. It's Abba, Father. It's crying out, Abba, Father. You'll see it on the screen. Abba, Father. The key to a life of kingdom greatness, to a life of freedom, to a life of vibrancy, to a life of joy, a beauty that glows inside of you where people think you're much younger than you actually are, that kind of life is the ability and the desire to cry, Abba, Father. Now, you might look at me and say, Pastor Pete, what's the big deal? Like, that ain't hard. I could do that right now. Abba, Father. Repeat with me. Not hard. Easy. And if that's all I have to do, then shoot. My morning QTs will take two seconds, and I'll be good to go. Now, I want you to consider one thing. Of all the times that Jesus is recorded praying in our scripture, particularly in the Gospels, there's only one time that Jesus doesn't begin his prayer with Father. Every prayer that Jesus prays that's recorded begins with him saying, Father, and then fill in the blank. As maybe you do. You'll say, Heavenly Father, dear God, same kind of an idea. But the one time he doesn't do it, do you know what it is? Someone answer? It's on the cross when he cries, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But other than that, every other prayer begins with the word Father. Now, you might be, again, saying, what's the big deal? Now, when you read the Bible, particularly in the New Testament is in Greek, you'll see this word Father. And the Father word for Greek is pater. It literally sounds like Father. It's pretty simple, right? But most scholars believe that when Jesus says the word Father, he's actually saying the word Abba. Now, Abba, as you'll see on the screen, is an Aramaic word, which is what Jesus spoke. And it's most closely to the English word daddy or papa. It's a term of intimacy. Okay? And if you know, especially younger children, most young children don't call their dads father, do they? They don't go, father, can I have a snack? They go, daddy, papa. Or if you're my daughter, because she's weird, she goes, papa? I don't know where in the world that comes from, but that's what she says, right? And then even her older brothers go, why do you call him Papa? Like, that's not the word, bro. Like, it's either Daddy or Appa if you're Korean, right? But Papa, I don't know, again, whatever. But the, the point is, she's the only one that calls me Papa. That's the point. It's a word of intimacy. No one else in the world calls me that other than her. Now, this is important because, as you know, the New Testament is written in the Greek language and not in Aramaic. Okay? And usually when you translate or do things written for the Greek people, all the all the uh, bible writers particularly disciples they wrote it in greek but the one word or there's some words but the one word they did not change is this word abba they just transliterated it and if you don't know what that means it's basically like pizza pizza in korean is what pizza it's not a korean word right it's like calcium calcium that's not a word it's just transliteration If you ask my daughter again, what's her, what's, what's, you know, how do you say Connor in English? She'll say Connor. And then she'll say, how do you say Connor in Korean? She'll go, Kona. That's the same thing, okay? Transliteration. It's not an actual Greek word. But here's the point. And this is from Paul Miller again. He says this We know the word Abba because it burned itself on the disciples' mind. They were so stunned, no one had ever spoken to God so intimately before that when they were told, when they told the Greek Christians about Jesus, they carried over the Aramaic word Abba into the Greek translations of the Bible. So now, even now, no matter what translation you find in the Bible, you'll find this word Abba. And I thought it was fasc- fascinating, so I looked it up in the Korean, right? And this is what this Korean uh, verse says Galatians 4 6. <laughs> The word "appa" is in our Bible. That's a big deal. Our language is closer to the Aramaic than English. If you're Korean, the word "appa" is in the Bible. You and I can call our God "appa" if you so choose. Hearing Jesus call God Abba or Appa had a fundamental and transformational impact on the disciples. So much so they couldn't replace the word with Pater, but they just had to use and call God of the universe in the Bible that they knew was going to be written to everybody in the world for all of history, the word Daddy, Appa, Abba, And you and I can call our God, yes, our God of the universe, Appa. Praise be to his name. And you know this word. It means something different. If you're a child of divorce, like me, or you know someone who's been a child of divorce, when you get a step-parent, one of the hardest things to do is to look them in the eye and call them Umma or Appa, mommy or daddy. In English, you call them by their first name, which in Korean sounds really weird. But if you know Korean people who speak Korean only, they'll call them ajuma, like old lady or whatever, Ajashi, which just means, you know, old man or whatever. It's like, sir. Ma'am, when my dad got married the second time, he made me call his second wife, Umma. it was really hard. When he got married the third time, or second time, his third, my, my third mom, again, Ummah. It's term of intimacy. You only call the people you dearly love this word, and yet we can call our God, Abba, Father. This is helpless prayer because it makes you like a child. How many people in here still call their dads daddy if you do it in English? Not many. When did you drop that habit? Whenever you felt like you were too old and too mature to call your dad daddy or your mom mommy? Unfortunately, we got it wrong. Because if Jesus can call his heavenly father, Appa, pretty sure we can call Our Heavenly Father, Abba. Helpless prayer, simple. Abba, Father. Then secondly, why helpless prayer then? Okay? Now, though we said it numerous times, right? It's still shocking to me that Jesus would actually out loud for people to hear pray this way. And it's actually shocking to me that Jesus would say out loud for people to regard that he cannot do anything outside of the Father, full stop. There's no, like... Condition, I cannot do anything unless I see the Father do it. Without the Father, I am nothing, he's saying. Jesus always prayed like a little child, helplessly, because he knew he should and he knew he could, and more importantly, he knew he had to. And the reason is because to Jesus, maturity or growing up meant something totally than what we all think maturity or growing up is. And this is something that I lament in the Christian church, all of us, because we have this very skewed understanding of maturity. I think we've gotten it all wrong if we're just being truthful. We talked about it last week. With us, everything is rank. Everything is status. Everything is higher you go, the better you are. Hierarchies and so on and so forth. But even deeper, I think we got it wrong. Consider prayer, okay? I think most of us in here believe this, that a strong, a strong Christian prays a lot. Who believes that? If you're a strong, hardcore, mate, whatever, whatever word you want to use, if you're a good, strong Christian, you pray a lot. I think every one of us in here pray a lot. If you don't, you're lying because every Korean person wants to go to in the morning, early morning prayer, and scream for an hour and just pray all that kind of, all your parents want you to do that. And the ones who pray longer and louder, they're better, apparently, right? Strong Christians pray a lot. And so many of us, knowing this, right, will say this, like, I know I'll know that I'm a strong Christian when I pray more and when I pray a lot or when I go to more early morning prayer every Saturday for us or every single day of the week for your parents, right? And pray a lot. And then if you are a humble person, most of you are, I think. You'll say, you know what? I want to become a better Christian. I want to I have a better relationship with God. So to do that, I'm going to pray more. This new year as one of my resolutions. I want to change. So I'm going to discipline myself and pray more and become a strong Christian. Does that sound familiar to you? If your life goes awry and goes awry, or goes awry, goes awry, goes awry, then you go and you pray more. You discipline yourself and you pray more. You cut out other things and you pray more. That sounds like the way we do it, right? But in my opinion... Hidden underneath this thought is backwards maturity. Because number one, let's be honest, how often does that work? How often do you go, you know what, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to go to this the them more. I said that many, many times in my life, never works. Not just because I want to, it doesn't work. But most importantly, the reason behind strong Christians who pray a lot is not what you think. Strong Christians don't pray a lot because they think they're strong. It's actually completely opposite. Strong Christians know how weak they are, how helpless they are, how sinful, arrogant, and proud they are. And they pray because they realize with each passing day just how much grace they need. It becomes apparent like, 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 like nothing else. When you become a parent, that's what you understand. How selfish and prideful and how everything is about you. How you want your children to turn out like you. Or how you want your children to make up for the mistakes that you made or the things that you couldn't do. That's all about me. It's nothing about the children. It's all about me. That's how sinful we are. But when you realize that you pray, why? Because that's, there's nothing else to do. Parents who think they have it all, don't pray. Why? Because they have it all. They got everything figured out. Why pray? There's no need for it. Strong Christians don't try to hide their sin. They come knowing it, knowing how much grace and love they need. So they bring it to you in prayer. I talk about my grandmother grandmother a lot in here, and she was the strongest Christian I've ever known in my entire life. Every single day of her adult life that I lived with her, she prayed 9 a.m., 9 p.m., minimum 45 minutes. And every single time I thought the house was burning down because she would be wailing in tears. And I just didn't understand it. I was like, this woman must be crazy. Because she's the most faithful person I've ever seen. And she cries like the whole world is collapsing. What is going on? And you ask her and she would say, I need my sins erased and I need to live the life that God is. And I can only do it by his strength and his power. But you could sense how desperate she was in her voice. One time someone called looking for her and she was praying. And I told her, Told that person, it was one of her friends from the church, and she said, I said, she's praying. She can't be bothered. I I need to talk to her. So I screamed. I'm really loud. (laughs) Screaming all the way up up the stairs of the townhouse. I got to her door. I'm literally three feet from her inside her closet, screaming at the top of my lungs, pick up the phone. It was like we were having a shouting match, her and I. You could not bother her, though. And she looked at me. She goes, don't bother me while I pray. If I don't pray, I die. There's a changunim, an elder, one of our female changunims. I go to se- every, every time I go to Seppuku more and more prayer. I don't go that often, but every time I go, she sits in the same spot and she wails every single day, and you can hear the desperation in her voice. There's another man who prays every morning, and he basically throughout the entire thing he does this. I can hear it in my mind. It's ingrained in me because I hear it. He cry, cries out, "Aboji, Aboji." That's Korean. For father, father, I wish he would just say appa, as Jesus does. And you can substitute the word pray in this situation with serve, give, love, and forgive and it all works. Strong Christians, they serve, they pray, they give, they love, they forgive, all because they know how wretchedly sinful they are and how much grace we need. Maturity in the kingdom is completely backwards and counterintuitive to what we think it is. Let me outline it for you this way. Increasing maturity, as you'll see on the screen, is more awareness of your own sin and poverty, okay? Which then results that you cry out more for grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And then what's ended up happening, another result of that is that you just end up crying out more for Jesus and you cry out, Abba, 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 Abba. When my kid's hurt and they're in pain, They do one thing, they cry, they open their arms, and they say, appa, appa, appa. That's it. There are no other words necessary in that situation, is there? But the world has it backwards. So then indeed, with decreasing maturity, you'll see it on the screen, means further you are less recognizing of your own sin your hypocrisy, hatred, anger, bitterness, and the brokenness, and the result is you don't pray, you don't cry out, because you believe that whatever it is that you have, your own talents, your own skills, your money, your job, whatever it is, you think it'll get you out. Something else will save you, and then what you get, most importantly, is less of Jesus, more of ourselves, and the world as a solution. Paul Miller says it like this. If you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time Money and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy to pray. But if like Jesus, you realize that you cannot do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find time to pray. So many examples in the Bible where people, when they're desperate and they know they have nothing else, they pray. the thing that makes prayer work is helplessness. And understood this way, then helplessness isn't an insult. It is an invitation. Helplessness is not an insult. It is an invitation into greater intimacy with Jesus. Hmm. Helplessness is what helps us receive jesus and what allows jesus to live in and therefore out of us oh lord help me to be helpless then third how do we then do this helpless prayer let's read matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 8 again the words will be on the screen as always but if you have your bibles flip to matthew chapter 6 with me verses 5 through 8 you'll know this text very very familiar i think This is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching to all the people. And right after this is when Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, right? But right before the Lord's Prayer, he says this. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus, interestingly, right before he teaches the Lord's Prayer, he makes very interesting mar- remarks on prayer. He says, when you pray, don't pray to be seen, but rather pray in secret so that only the Father can hear. He says, don't pray meaningless repetitions also, just blabbering and just bl- 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 just." Rather, pray to your father because he knows. So then when you pray, he says, pray our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, so on and so forth. Now, if you look at this, the dividing line in terms of what Jesus says is good prayer versus bad prayer or how you should pray versus not pray isn't like irreligious, non-religious versus religious. That's actually wrong. Because the hypocrites that he calls and the Gentiles or pagans, depending on your translation, they're all religious people. Their are were related to religious people. And hypocrites actually in Greek means actors, people who put on a show. So he's saying don't pray like the people who put on a show, who are kind of faking it. But just pray alone, honestly, with just your Abba, your daddy, your Appa, in intimacy. It's the difference between when kids scream out in the hallway, Appa! Versus when they come to you and they've got you right in their ear and they go, Appa? I know I just like to brag about my babies, but I can't stop. Kara, yesterday, she comes up to me. and She goes, Appa, I have a secret for you. Now, I hate when she has secrets because when she talks, she breathes real hard and it's like it tickles in the ear. And it's not really actually fun. It's hot and, like, another breath stinks. It's not very fun. But, hey, got to do what you got to do. She's like, I got a secret for you. And I'm like, okay. It's not going to be anything amazing. But, hey, whatever. And then she, and then just randomly. She just comes up to me and then she puts her ear right here and she goes, And, you know, she's saying it loud enough so everyone can hear but she, she thinks she's whispering, Appa, I love you. It's intimacy. It's helplessness. She does not care. But she knows her daddy's big enough or good enough or whatever the case might be. In secret, alone, she wants me to know, as we want our father to know, that we love him and that he loves us. And then Jesus says, don't pray like religious pagans or Gentiles, people who just blabber on, constantly repeating the same things over and over and over and over again, just long, 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 just so that indeed their impressive words or eloquency or the phrases that they repeat over and over and over again indeed might be heard. But it says, pray to your Abba because he knows what you need before you even ask. See, the distinction isn't whether you can ask, but how you ask. The difference, as Tim Keller says, is between reciting our Father who art in heaven versus praying our Father who art in heaven. And the difference is a relationship. I told you before, when my dad got married second time and the third time, I had a really hard time respecting my new mom and calling her Ummah. And I would be like, uh, I just, uh, and then my dad would be like, "Umma,." Just mutter it. But now, my dad's wife and my mom, I proudly call her my Oma because she's great. There's a difference between reciting Abba and praying Abba. And again, this is something that children do really well. But we struggle to do as we get older. That's why you need to turn and become like a child. It's like Mason, who's eight now. I can't believe he's eight, but he sometimes reluctantly doesn't give his mother a kiss because he's too old. I said, bruh, come on. Or Kara. Again, she embodies this because she's the youngest. She has these ideas of grandeur. She wants to grow up and do all these things. She goes, "Daddy, when I'm 10, Papa, when I'm 10, can I drink soda? Okay, sure. And when I'm 18 too, I'm like, you got the idea backwards, but sure, right? When I'm when I'm this, can I do this? When I'm when I'm six, can I cook eggs? I'm like, no, you can't. That's when you go eight. Okay, when I'm eight, I can cook eggs. And 18 too, yes, you can do that, baby. So on and so forth. She wants to do all these things that you want to be able to do when you get older. And after she goes through a laundry list of all the things that she wants to do, then she looks at me and then she goes, "But you know what? I'm always your baby, right? And I go, forever. She goes, forever, I'm your baby. It's helplessness, it's how you pray, it's how we approach our God. With increasing maturity, you understand how much more you need that prayer. It's not a sentimental thing with my, with my daughter and I. It's indeed a theological understanding that she is continually and forever will be childlike in her prayer, in her attitude, not only towards me most importantly, but towards our Abba. You will never get too old or too mature to cry out Abba. You cannot. See, the distinction here in Matthew is one of business relationship versus familial, family relationship business is showy it's repetitive it's on and on you're trying to sell something family is intimate less words you don't really need them you already know and the best way you can tell is pretty simple when you're praying right and you're praying a lot quote unquote you can tell whether you're doing it in a business-like, mas- uh, f- uh, business-like fashion or a family-like matter and it's because of how you feel when God doesn't answer your prayer when God doesn't answer your prayer and you pray businesslike, how do you feel? You're left cold and anxious. You're cold and you're bitter. Why? You can say, God, I deserve these things because I prayed. I did all these things. I served. I did, checked off all these lists. Look at all I do. I'm good. I follow. I obey. How dare you not give me what I'm wanting? That's business. I do this for you. You do this for me, and it leaves you cold. Or it might leave you anxious and afraid. You go, oh, I must be guilty. I must have done something wrong. Clearly, my prayers aren't working because God is mad at me. Apparently, there's a parent that showed up this week at the preschool, registered his son into the preschool, and then found out that day that he got laid off from work, came in, and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I registered him, but I I was going to do the whole thing, but I I just got laid off. I'm going to have to take them out. And then he said this on his own accord to my wife. He said, I must have done something wrong. I must not be praying well enough because I don't know why God is doing this to me. That's that anxiety because you don't treat your father like a father, but like your business owner. God is not your tenant, your landlord, or God is not your landlord and you are a tenant, you are a child. But when you're a family, when you're a Christian, you cry out and you say this on the screen, God, come into my life and be my Abba. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy at all, but because of Jesus, on account of what he has done and what he did, be my father. See, business prayer is empty, it's cold, it's anxious, it's impersonal, it's technical, and it's formulaic. But family prayer, it's warm, it's intimate, it's personal, it's rich. Notice the prayer that Jesus teaches us, isn't our King, our Savior, our Lord. All those things are true. But when you pray, you pray, our Abba. Because our King, our Lord, our Savior is not intimate enough for you and I. Tim Keller says this, he says, a child does not always or even often address his or her father as father father. Likely he or she has a different term for him that shows his or her loving, trusting familiarity with his or her father, such as dad or papa or daddy. And this is how Christians can approach the all-powerful creator of the universe who sustains every atom in existence moment by moment. I pray for you that we do not miss out on the opportunity and the privilege of calling our heavenly God, Abba, Father. The word to cry, right? That the spirit of his son comes in and allows us to cry. The word to cry is a loud cry. It expresses deep emotion. It's not something you just do. It is spontaneous. And not only spontaneous, but it is confident. Do you, do you not trust that your appa is your appa when you call him appa? Come on now. Do you need license to call your daddy daddy? No, you do not. That's why in Galatians 4, we read it, says that so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoptions. Because you are sons. Because you are sons. And we talked about this at PNF. Sons is a high honor. Sorry to all the ladies, but not sorry at the same time because what you wanted to be in Jesus' day is sons. Sons had the status. So what he's saying, all the ladies out there, you get to be sons too. Not because men are better, but their status was higher. And because of sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, a child. And if a son and a child, then an heir, you get everything of the kingdom if you follow him. We, who because of sin were enemies of God by Jesus and what he's done, his love for us the cross. Now we've been adopted as children, not even children, better as sons. As heirs. So turn. Become like a child. Take the lowest position and pray helplessly crying out, Abba, Father. Last quote by Paul Miller. To become more like Jesus is to feel increasingly unable to do life. That's that's amazing. Increasingly weary of your heart paradoxically, you get holier while you are feeling less holy. The very thing you are trying to escape, your inability, opens the door to prayer and then grace. Remember the one time Jesus didn't pray to God saying, Father, do you remember? Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani. The words will be on the screen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only time Jesus prays, my God, my God. You know why that's important? The one time Jesus does not call his father Abba Father is the time he knew for three days he would lose his title his identity his status and security as son and become a forsaken piece of nothing for you and i and on our behalf the moment he lost his identity as son we gained his identity as son upon our behalf the eternal glory the eternal intimacy the eternal love and everything that he's had with god since the beginning of everything since before the beginning of everything he lost for three days cut off separate forsaken cold empty and impersonal all so that you and I may gain his sonship and adoption as sons so that you and I can cry with every confidence and fiber in our being, Appa, Daddy, Father, please help me because I need it. And then he gives you the world. It is a joy to be able to pray like this, brothers and sisters. Praise Him! you can come up and join us to be aware of our sins and poverty all the more so that we can pray helplessly all the more. So respond to his spirit urging us. And I'm gonna give you some time to pray. And as we pray, the praise team is gonna sing over this song called Abba. It's beautiful. It's really got very few words and you don't even need to know the words. They're gonna pray over you, but I want you to pray in this time and respond. Oh shoot, we gotta get out of here soon, but hey, I'm gonna give you time to pray. I'm not actually good at long prayer. Actually, if you know me, I'm too ADHD and too wired, and I talk too fast, and my mind—all this stuff—I've never been good at it. But praying, following Jesus' pattern, I simply pray many times these days: Abba, 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 Abba. See, Paul, in many of his texts, he says, pray continuously. And I always wonder, like, how the crap do you pray continuously? It's, like, impossible, isn't it? But maybe not. Why? Because if you just pray short prayers all throughout the day, then you can pray continuously. It's what I've learned to do. I pray very simple prayers. I'm going to teach you. You You can pray these anytime, literally in a nanosecond. I pray things like, Daddy, I need you. Appa, teach me. Appa, hold me. That's a big one. Appa, satisfy me. Or perhaps the most powerful prayer ever prayed in the scripture is the man in Luke 18. We saw this at PNF who goes up to the temple, cannot look up. is just beating his chest, and he prays a simple prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Appa, have mercy. I'm a sinner. But you love me. Every time I go play basketball because I'm a prideful human being, I pray, God, save me from myself. Save me from myself. Because I'm not good enough, but you are so good enough. And when you can do that, you pray and you're free. You don't got to worry about a thing because this daddy, this ultimate godly daddy is watching over you, holding you. So I encourage you in this time, you pray You're struggling to do something. It's very simple in some ways. You pray, Abba, please love me, hold me, save me, satisfy me, fill me, move me, teach me. You don't need to say a whole lot of words. He already knows them. You just need a few, maybe not even any. Just the word Abba is enough. So as the praise team sings this over you, I encourage you. And this is my challenge to you. take the greatest fear and you pray that your Abba will hold you and carry you through the fear. You take your biggest enemy and you pray, Daddy, save me, so that he will give you the love to love them and he will love them, which is greater than your love. You take your greatest pain and you say, Abba, your prayer, your love, greater than my hurt, save me. So as they sing this over you, I want you to pray, simple. It can be three words, maybe not even. Just pray this with every fiber of your being. And if you so choose, it's gonna, it may get weird in here, but I don't care, you cry it out with everything you got. You say, Abba, please. Abba, 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 And learning to pray this way will unlock for us a greatness, a spirit, a love, a fervor a freedom unlike anything you've ever seen before. It's what makes expressions great. It's literally just people going up there saying, I need help. I am broken. Help me. You do this, we do this. Church, can you imagine what the daddy won't give you? There's nothing he won't give you. So can we go and pray, helplessly, lowly, great in the kingdom, low in the eyes of the world, but loved in the eyes of our Father. So as they sing, pray, with everything you got, Abba, 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 have mercy on me, the sinner, let's pray.